Well, greetings and God bless, church. Why don't we put our hands together and thank God for all that God has done for us this week. How many of y'all know God has been moving, God has been working, and we have passed through a month of 2021? That's a reason enough to give God praise and give God thanks for allowing us to see another month. Now, I know that there are so many things that we're bringing to this moment. I know that there's so much heaviness and anxiety. I really hope that today's message is a balm for your so I hope that today's message encourages you and moves you toward where God would have you. Our text today is Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 28 and move down to verse 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why don't we lift up our hands right now in prayer? And I'm gonna specifically pray for people in our church who are struggling. I've mentioned a couple of weeks uh, in the past that there are a number of people in our church who are dealing with family losses, uh, COVID, whatever it may be. And so we wanna lift them up in prayer collectively as we are all navigating through this. Will you join your hands with me virtually and pray right now to our God to lift that burden. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how great you are, how mighty you are. We're, thank you, we're thankful for the fact, God, we thank you that you are above all, but yet you see all. That means you see even the difficult moments, the difficult places, the suffering, the pain, the death, the loss. And I lift up our family members extended both inside the church and those extended that have suffered loss. God, I pray that you would be near to them, that you would be the comforter, that you would be the great restorer, that you would be the one who lifts the burdens who lifts the heaviness, who lifts the weight. And God, as we excavate this idea of rest today, I pray that you would give it to us, that we wouldn't just think theoretically, but that we would talk practically. And God, I know there can't be a fire in anyone's place if there's an iceberg behind this pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, church, last week I made the announcement that 2021 is the year of alignment. Why don't you put alignment in the chat? A-L-I-G-N-M-E-N-T, alignment, the year of alignment. And the two ways, there are two ways that alignment is used in the natural dictionary context. Alignment is used first as this idea of putting things in their proper place. And then also secondarily, alignment is used as an idea of agreeing with the right assessment of things. That's why I believe God is calling for us in the spiritual realm to strive for two things this year, order and honor, order and honor. Why don't you type that in the comments? Order and honor. And as you can see, some people are putting some stuff into alignment even in this building. But last month, we talked about this in the context of the series, Now What? Now, we asked some questions of ourselves that Jesus asked of his earthly followers when he was on this earth, when he wrapped himself up in human flesh. 
And as he was asking these questions, I brought up this idea over the past five weeks that we must have a dialogical relationship with God, not a monologue, but a dialogue where we don't just ask questions of God, but we allow God to ask questions of us. How many of you have grown in allowing God to ask questions of you? How many of you are saying, I'm willing to open myself up to the challenge, to be vulnerable and to grow as a result of answering the questions that God has given to me? But today I want to start a new series. And again, I want to take the theoretical and bring it into the practical. And this new series is called this. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. God's way for God's results. This is how we do it. God's way for God's results. Why don't you type in the comments if that's your heart. If you want to align yourself with God, type in the comments, I want God's way. I want God's way. So I want to give you every single week some practices that can drastically transform your walk with God, some practices that are going to take you to the next level, I believe, a deeper relationship with God. Uh, And I want to start today by something, talking about something that's going to be a little bit different, out of the norm, not something that we normally discuss and talk about. But, but I want to frame it in this way. There is a way in which we must align ourselves with the way God works, with the way God works. Football fans across the nation are entering into a season, a season of the sports calendar in preparation for a very important moment for every NFL franchise. And no, I'm not talking about the Super Bowl, which is happening later on today, although that is important for many sports franchises. But there is something called the NFL draft. And the draft is an opportunity for teams to make the dreams of young football players come true while improving their prospects for a new season. On the one hand, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable display, right? If I'm keeping my my metaphorical third eye open, you know, there's NFL players who are mostly black who are paraded around like cattle and prodded and poked and, and they're seen, they're assessed as their deservingness of generational wealth. And on the other hand, I I enjoy seeing the reactions of the players whose lifelong dreams have finally come true. And I'm a Gators fan, so I'm going to be watching people like Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts and Trayvon Grimes and Kyle Trask, you know, true Gator players. But most people will be watching the first pick of the draft, which is expected to be the Clemson quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence is a tall, athletic, gifted quarterback. As a matter of fact, he is considered the highest rated prospect since a previous prospect who came around about 10 years before. And he is from the University of Stanford. His name was Andrew Luck. Now, some of you remember Andrew Luck because at that point, he was the highest graded NFL prospect in the history of the draft. Andrew Luck had it all. He had a cannon for an arm. He could make all the throws. He was durable and tough. He was mobile in the pocket. He had a computer for a brain. He was a great leader. He had leadership qualities and characteristics, integrity in his personal life. Andrew Luck was considered to be the first in line or the next in line for being the greatest quarterback in the history of the league. But something wild happened after Andrew Luck had been in the league for about 10 years. Andrew Luck, one day on August of 2019, made a shocking and uncomfortable announcement. He made the shocking announcement that he was going to retire from football at the age of 29. Andrew Luck said in his retirement statement, he said, this is not an easy decision. Honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life, but it is the right decision for me. 
For the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, pain, rehab, and it's been unceasing, unrelenting, both in season and off season, and I felt stuck in it. The only way I see out is to no longer play football. Andrew Luck had it all, all the gifts, all the talents, all the mental acuity, all the personal integrity, everything that you would need to be a superstar athlete, the one who would take over the mantle of the greatest quarterback of all time. But yet in the midst of the fact that Andrew Luck had it all, Andrew Luck's gifts couldn't outpace his inability to recover. Andrew Luck was gifted, but he wasn't gifted enough to overcome his physical limitations. There have been social media memes and challenges that ask this question about if you could construct the perfect athlete, whose attributes would you want to take? Whose qualities would you want to take and put together? Would you want the athleticism of someone like Wilt Chamberlain? Would you want the size and the length of someone like a, a Kevin Durant or the build of someone like a Bo Jackson or the mental IQ of someone like LeBron James or, or, the, ment or the hand dexterity of someone like Michael Jordan or, or who would you want? How would you construct the perfect athlete? And many of us would go for athleticism and IQ and dexterity and strength and speed and height, but then way down the line, we probably would forget about one of the most important characteristics, and that's the characteristic of recovery. Because if you put together all those gifts and the person couldn't rest and the person couldn't recover and the person couldn't bounce back, it wouldn't do them any good to have all those gifts and not have the durability to sustain it. Similarly, church, if I could take it into the spiritual realm and if I could construct the perfect disciple, the perfect follower of Jesus, if you could construct the perfect disciple, the perfect follower of Jesus, how would you construct this perfect ideal follower of Jesus? Would they be someone who is intellectual and intelligent in theology? Would it be someone who is skilled in sociology, someone who is gifted in their relationships, someone who had the ability to understand deep texts of scripture? Would it be someone who had the, the stamina to, to pursue and persist in prayer? Would it be someone who had all of this spiritual pedigree and the right mentors around them? Would it be someone who could have expert discernment? Would it be someone who had charisma? Would it be someone who's likable? I know we would all probably choose those characteristics, but the thing we would probably miss, just like the thing we miss in our NFL draft assessments, in our natural assessments of human people, we miss the crucial characteristic of the ability to rest. I probably wouldn't pick someone who could rest and recover. I probably wouldn't pick someone who knew their limits. I probably wouldn't pick someone who chose not to do something because even though it would be impressive, it wouldn't fit with their soul. It wouldn't fit with their, with their recovery. It wouldn't fit with their stamina. It wouldn't fit with their rhythm of life. And here's the thing. Most of us miss this because most of us are bad at resting ourselves. Is it just me? I'm not going to speak past me here. I'm just going to talk to me here. I'm bad at resting. I'm bad at taking a break. If that's you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand. Just wink at me so I know. Just wink at me so I know that you're struggling. We're in the same boat here. We're in the same metaphorical position. I struggle with resting. And the truth of the matter is the Bible says that Jesus invites us into sweet rest, but most of us have never experienced it. Why have we not experienced it? Why have we not had the opportunity to experience this rest? It's because, church, the most dangerous thing about our culture is that we live in a society that is obsessed with more. 
there is a four-letter word called more that plagues our society. Can I give you some examples? We work more than ever before. It's the truth that people in the American context, workers in the U.S., they work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers and 260 more hours per year than British workers and 499 more hours per year than French workers. At least 134 countries have laws setting the maximum length of the work week, but the U.S. does not. Most of us work ourselves to the grind and we get less vacation days for smaller pay and we push ourselves and we push ourselves and we work more than we ever have before. I'm not that old, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember when there were some blue laws in place. Some of you don't know what blue laws are, but they restricted the sale of certain things on Sunday. Certain stores would be closed on Sunday. Certain stores would never be open on holidays, but slowly Sunday and the quote-unquote Sabbath day would then start to become a place of currency and commerce, and then it would seep into Thanksgiving and Christmas and Black Friday, and there was so much push for us to work and work and work, and there's this push for more. Not only that, but church, we don't just work more than ever before. We spend more than ever before. Despite all of that, people tell us that, that there's new data from the U.S. Census. And it says that in the midst of a global pandemic in 2020, in the midst of being struggling, in the midst of many of us not having as much money as we once did, that spending on the holidays of 2020, just a couple of months ago, was higher by a higher margin than in 2019. Isn't it shocking that even though many of us couldn't see our family members and many of us didn't have as much money as we had the year before, we still spent more than the year before. Not only that, but we have more. We own more than ever before. We have this desire to work for more and, and, and own more and, and spend more and accrue more and attain more. And every year at the top of this calendar year in January, we always ask God for more. We say, God, I need more money and more connections and more favor and more opportunity and more blessings. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. And why is this important? See, church, you have to understand this reality that the enemy wears you down to take you out. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me say it again. The enemy wears you down to take you out. For some of us, the greatest temptation that the enemy can put in front of us is not sinfulness, but limitlessness. <laughs> Let me run it back. The greatest temptation that the enemy can put in front of us is not sinfulness, it's limitlessness. It's us pushing past the limits that God created us, created us to have. Can I remind you, church, you, you are not a machine. You are not a robot. You are not infinite. You are not limitless. You are finite. God is omni. We are solo. We can only focus on one thing at one time. It seems as though we're multitasking, but the reality is we're distracted. We're, we're taking away from focus points, and many of us have been pushing and pushing and pushing for so long that God is saying, when are you going to acknowledge your limits? When are you going to acknowledge the fact that I didn't create you to work like that? When are you going to acknowledge the fact that it's not work that you're doing, it's toil that you're doing? When are you going to acknowledge the fact that you've been caught up and wrapped up and tangled up in this idea of more, 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 more this, more that, more of what they have, more of what social media tells me, more of what my phone advertises to me, more of what Amazon can send straight to my door, more, more, more. And probably many of us are not realizing the blessing of God because we are out of alignment when it comes to the way that God works. 
works. We are out of alignment when it comes to the way that God has called for us to rest. Are you ready to rest, church? Are you tired today, church? Are you exhausted today? Now, now let me be clear. I'm not talking about some silver bullet, some magic potion. It's easy for many of us to say we have to acknowledge not just the societal factors, but there's also sociological factors. Many of us are forced to work multiple jobs. Many of us are forced to provide for children. Many of us are forced to provide for extended family members. So this is not demonizing. This is not guilt and shame. It's not condemnation. It's an invitation. And I'm asking you the question, are you ready to rest, church? Are you ready to enter into the rest of God? What if your spiritual growth is not connected to you working harder, but you resting better? (laughs) What if your spiritual growth, it's not ultimately first connected to you working harder, but you resting better? Type in the comments if this is you, and if you're making this declaration today, I want you to type, I want rest. I want rest. I want to be rested, not just in my body, but rested in my soul. I know some of you are thinking, preacher, you said you were going to give us some practical steps. You were going to give us some practical tips. You you said that you were going to give us something practical that we could take. This is God's way for God's results, right? You said this is how we do it. So how do we get aligned with God? I, I think God has an answer for our problem of a lack of recovery. God has a cosmic answer that he put in place at the foundation of the world. And it might shock you, but it's a simple word. It's called Sabbath. Type that in the comments, Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Type it in the comments, Sabbath. Sabbath literally means simply to stop. It means to pause. It means to cease. It means not to do the things that we have carried on doing. And God established this from the foundation of the world. Genesis 2 actually tells us that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, verse 2 tells us, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from from all the work of creating that he had done. It's interesting here, God rests, but don't get it twisted. Just because God rested, that doesn't mean that God was tired. God didn't rest because God was tired. God rested to set an example. God rested to show us what it means to have a proper life rhythm. He instituted the world with this rhythm of work and rest, with this rhythm of working for six days, working for an interval, and then pausing to say, I'm done. I'm finished for this week. I'll pick it up tomorrow. I'll pick it up later, but I'm going to pause. I set an example that the world doesn't work. I don't work in the world in perpetual motion. I must work and rest, work and rest, and I must find that unforced rhythm, the light, easy rhythm of working as God has called me to. It's so interesting because this is one of the commandments in Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Verse 11, as we moonwalk down the passage, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish rabbi, he puts it like this in his classic work, The Sabbath. He says, Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath day, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. 
The world has our hands, but our souls belong to someone else. <laughs> That's a word. The world may have our hands. The world may have our sweat, but our souls belong to someone else. Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. Sabbath becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. Sabbath becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. Come into alignment with God. You can't get God's results if you don't do things God's way. You can't do things God's way if you don't work God's way. You can't work God's way if you don't rest. And church, I'm here to invite you lovingly into this reality of rest. And let me be honest, I'm here to invite myself into this reality of rest. Many of us are asking the question, why is it that I can't experience spiritual victory? Why is it that I can't experience the power of being an overcomer? Other people talk about greater is he that's on the inside of me than he that's in the world. Uh, maybe I need more scripture. Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need someone to cast something out of me. Maybe I need deliverance. Maybe I need to be lifted. Maybe I need more knowledge. Maybe I need more consistency in certain areas. All that may be true, but the reality is you can't fight sin if you're exhausted. You, you can't find joy if you're always perpetually tired. You can't love people well if you don't have the energy to. You can't serve other people. How am I going to love my neighbor as myself if I'm exhausted? My neighbor going to get on my nerves. Some of y'all know. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The kids going to get on my nerves. My spouse is going to get on my nerves. My coworkers are going to get on my nerves. I'm going to get on my own nerves if I don't rest. And that is what God is inviting us into. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me. First thing Jesus establishes is, when you feel burdened, remember the right place you are supposed to turn to. When you feel exhausted, don't go to the coping mechanism. Don't go to the thing that numbs you. Don't go to the thing that appeases your flesh and gets you out of a situation. Come to the one who can get you through the situation. Come to the one who can carry you through. Come to me. Get in proximity to my presence. And let me be the first thing that you come to. Is God the first thing that you come to when you're fatigued? Is Jesus the first thing that you come to when you're tired? Is Jesus the one who fulfills your soul? Do you turn to other people before you turn to Jesus? Do you turn to other things before you turn to Jesus? Do you turn to media and entertainment before you turn to Jesus? Do you turn to the pleasures of this world before you turn to Jesus? Jesus says, I'm, I'm giving you an open invitation. No matter what you're facing, as tired as you may be, as exhausted and annoying as you may be, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, who are under the weight of labor, who are under the weight of toil, who are under the weight of heaviness, who are under the weight of anxiety, who are under the weight of stress. Come to me. It's the sweetest invitation that Jesus can make to us. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll take the burden and I'll give you back rest. Many of us don't experience this because our culture has told us something about the way in which we are supposed to live our lives. Andy Crouch puts it like this. He says, the culture's way is toil and leisure. The kingdom way is work and rest. 
Toil describes excessive labor. It's the kind that leaves us exhausted with nothing valuable to show for our effort. It's fruitless. And leisure is fruitless escape from labor. So we have the labor that works us to the grind, works us down. Grind culture, which says we're supposed to grind and never stop. We're, we're supposed to not sleep. We're supposed to sleep when we're dead. That's toxic. I'll get to that in a second. But it has this mentality that we're just supposed to work ourselves to the bone and grind ourselves until we're nothing, until our souls are ground down into the dirt. And then we use leisure as this fruitless sense of getting away. It's just fruitless, empty, frivolous distractions. It's just scrolling on social media. It's just watching and watching hours of television. And I'm not coming at that because that's not the only thing that we do, but, but we also do this thing called retail therapy and we go and we shop and we think that's going to make us happy and we overeat and we think that's going to make us happy. And there are so many things that we are bound to because it's toil and leisure, but the kingdom way is work and rest. Come to me. Not only that, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls if you take my yoke. Many of us don't understand the yoke analogy. The yoke analogy is based upon oxen. It's a farmer's analogy. And they would take two oxen of similar um, height and weight and they will put a yoke. It's an attachment. It's a wooden attachment and they would link the oxen together so that they would walk in a straight line so that they could plow in an efficient manner, plow in a straight line. And the oxen would be tied together to the yoke. And God is saying this, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest here. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tie yourself to me, not to the things that will put unnecessary weight upon you. But tie yourself to me. I will do the heavy lifting and the yoke will fit around you easy and light. I, I, I like to use my holy imagination and, and I see the fact that the yoke is made of wood. The yoke is, is a expert craftsman idea. It's something that you have to actually craft with intentionality. And it's made of wood and it, it brings a different depth. And if I can use my holy imagination, I, I think Jesus knew a little something about yokes. Jesus knew a little something about yokes, not because he was a farmer, but because he was a carpenter. <laughs> Jesus was a constructor. And if the yoke was truly made of wood and Jesus is the carpenter, maybe Jesus is trying to do a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the early people who knew he used to have a profession. Before he was a rabbi, he was in the carpentry business. And maybe he's trying to wink, wink, nudge at them and say, I'll create something that's so perfect for you, you won't be able to find it somewhere else. I'll create something that's so tailor-made to your life, to your soul, to your calling, to my vision for your life, that you won't be able to find it somewhere else. Maybe that's why many of us have been searching for love and satisfaction and approval and acceptance in all the wrong places. That yoke don't fit. That yoke doesn't wrap around us in the way that Jesus is going to construct it to our exact dimensions. You see, Jesus knows everything about you, knows the hairs on your head, knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, knows your calling, knows, knows every single thing, every little detail about your body and your construction and your soul. And Jesus is saying, since I know you well, let me construct something that's going to fit tightly to you. Let me construct something that you're not going to be able to bear unnecessarily. Wait, let me construct something that's easy and light. 
and when you let the carpenter construct, when you let the carpenter build, when you let the carpenter fit you, the carpenter will lead you and fit you with rest. It'll make it easy and light. So what is God calling us to today, church? God is calling us to the easy yoke. He's calling us to the light work. He's calling us into a rhythm of rest and Sabbath. I'll be honest with you, it's something I'm working and growing in. And before we get into the details of what it looks like, we'll get into that on Wednesday night. So this is just my shameless plug for you to join us on Facebook on, on, on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. But before we can get there, as far as the practical, we need to get there in our souls and our spirits. And when we think about Sabbath, many people think about this reality of it being this heavy weight, this thing that seems impossible. How am I going to carve out a day? It's a day of ceasing, a day of stopping. And I don't want you to think about it in terms of oh, another weight. I want you to think about it in terms of a healthy rhythm, a healthy symbiotic relationship between working and resting. And I want you to think about it in the context of this is a part of what it means to be healthy. This is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we consider this, I want you to say three statements. I want you to write these statements down, and I want these statements to become part of your regular routine. When you think you can't do Sabbath, when you think you can't rest, even for a few hours, when you think you can't step away from electronics and leisure and distractions, I want you to say these three statements. The first one, you ready? I am not a machine. <laughs> I'm not a machine. I I'm not something that can be used and commodified. I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. I'm not someone that can be pushed down into the ground. I'm not someone that can just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep calibrating. And I'm here to tell you, you're not a machine. Young people, doesn't matter how much you feel like you don't have limits, you're not a machine. People who are in corporate America hear me, just because you have all the capabilities and the talents in the world, you're not a machine. You still must rest. You can't violate the limits that God has given to you. You still must rest. You still must power down. Maybe it's not turning up. Maybe you need to power down. I'm not a machine. I won't be a machine. I won't allow this society and culture to commodify me. And number two, I will not find fulfillment in accomplishment. Number one, I'm not a machine. Number two, I will not find fulfillment in accomplishment. Church, we need to rid ourselves of this toxic theology that says we are saved by grace, but accepted through accomplishments. <laughs> Do you realize that God saved us by grace? And then once we get saved, we start working to be accepted through our accomplishments. You think that if you get to a certain tier level, if you get to a certain socioeconomic tax bracket, if you get to a certain position in the company, if you get to a certain number of people coming to the church, if you get to a certain number of people who approve of you, a certain number of likes on Facebook, a certain number of shares, a certain number of followers, a certain number of people who pat you on the back and applaud you, that that is going to be your fulfillment. Let me tell you, you weren't built for that. You were built for fulfillment and satisfaction and acceptance by one, not by many. And many of us have been trying to search for fulfillment and accomplishments, and we've been failing and flailing, and God says, pause it. Stop it right now. 
It's not how you were created. As much as you desire it, as much as you think it's going to lead to your fulfillment, as much as you think it's going to complete you, it's only going to make you more empty. I won't find my fulfillment in accomplishments. I won't find my fulfillment in human metrics. The more I chase success, the more success will be elusive to me. But the more I chase God, God will fill me back up. The more I submit to this rhythm, God will complete me. God will fit me in ways that the accomplishments could not. And number three, I'm not a machine. Number two, I, I won't find fulfillment in accomplishment. Number three, I don't need more. <laughs> this is dangerous, right? More, again, it's the, the great enemy of our society. More is pushing us. More is grabbing us. It's dragging us into overspending and overworking and not resting. But sometimes you just need to say, I don't need more. I could use more. More would, would make it fun for me. More would be exciting in many ways, but I don't need more. I, I don't need what they have. I don't need what it looks like is success for them. I, I don't need to achieve in a race that God hasn't called me to run. I, I don't need more. I need what God has for me and nothing else. I need what God wants from me, and nothing more. I don't need more. I have found the secret, Paul says, whatever state I'm in, whereby to be content. I don't need more. I could have more. I could chase more. I could desire more. I could reach for more, but I don't need more. I am not a machine. I won't find fulfillment in accomplishment. I don't need more. I know this isn't popular preaching. This isn't the preaching that's going to make you jump up and down and shout and run down the aisles. It's not the preaching that's, that's going to be super popular because there are so many questions that you have. There are so many questions that we continue to ask. There are so many challenges to going against this cultural way of more and more and more. And I want to invite you into this journey. We're not going to figure it out in one week or one sermon, but we're going to journey through this together. And I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of this reality that God will offer you the rest that is priceless, that can't be achieved through effort, that can't be achieved through work, the rest that your soul truly needs. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to challenge you so that your soul may be saved. I'm here to challenge you to receive the easy yoke. Eugene Peterson puts it like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight in the Message Bible translation. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That sounds like something I want. Is that what you want? Do you want to learn how to live freely and lightly? Maybe it's time to Sabbath. Maybe it's time to stop. God, we love you. We thank you that you haven't called us to endlessly, frivolously chase for more, that you haven't called us to reach and strive for things that are outside of our grasp, but you've given us the easy yoke, the light yoke, the light work, 
And God, yes, we know that we're still going to have to work and there's going to be difficulty in the work because we live in a fallen world. But God, I pray that you would introduce to us the possibility, the glimpse, just a little appetizer of what it means to rest, what it means to experience fulfillment and wholeness and freedom in you. God, I lift up specific situations that people might be facing that make rest feel attainable. I lift up the mothers who are having to work so hard, the fathers who are having to work so hard to provide for children and families. I lift mothers and fathers up because it may seem like rest is absolutely unattainable. God, would you give them fresh knowledge and ideas on how to construct a life that is not marked by labor and toil, but that is marked by work and rest. God, I think of those who are running companies and businesses who have so many people whose livelihood rests upon their shoulders. I pray that you would give them, give them the strength to reprioritize, to reorder their lives around rest, to reorder their lives around what you have called for them to do. And that's not to labor, that's not to strive, that's not to keep up with everyone else, but that's to rest in you. I pray for our young people and our college students who are navigating this real difficult world which has set before them these ideas that they're supposed to be this and be that and strive for more and find more completeness other places. God, I pray that they would not be saddled by this yoke, this ill-fitting yoke, but that they would find true rest in you. And God, I pray for all of us that we ourselves would come before you and say, God, teach me how to rest. And first, before I want to do something, because that's the problem, we want to do something. First, before I desire to do something, I desire to rest and sit in your presence. I desire to be before I do. I pray that that would be a reality that takes root. It would transform our hearts and our souls. Teach us how to rest in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, there is a handout in the comments. I know some of you are like, I want more on this. There's a handout in the comments that talks about Sabbath. We're going to go through this handout on Wednesday night as we talk about what it means to become like Jesus because Jesus rested. I hope that this encourages you and I hope that you're able to take this rest today. Turn the phone off, turn the television off, turn the entertainment off and truly sit and rest and chase delight and see what God does. I love you so much. I'll see you next week. Well, church, I hope that you have enjoyed today's service. I hope that the worship uplifted you. I hope that the word challenged you, and I hope that God's spirit transformed you. It is our desire that this is not just simply a cyber experience, but that this is a supernatural encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you had an encounter with Jesus, I wanna invite you to signify that by typing saved in the comments. Type saved in the comments. It is so important for us to continue to acknowledge and to applaud the decisions that are made as we continue to walk in the kingdom of God, walk towards the pressing towards the mark of that calling. And, and that's why we believe discipleship is so important. We wanna reach out to you and encourage you, give you some materials. 
And we also wanna invite you to join us on Wednesday nights as well for our Bible study at seven o'clock PM. This is a time where we can open up the word, unpack it, go a little bit deeper, even than what we have today in our Sunday morning experience. I also wanna encourage you, if you have not given yet, you can do so in three easy ways. You can click the link in the comment. You can also go to the Tidely app and type in New Dimensions Christian Center, or you can mail it in the old fashioned way, PO Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Listen, 2021 is going to be an important year, not just for our church, but for you as well. And we want to invite you to continue to follow us and walk with us as we journey towards growing in Christ and growing in love for our neighbors. I hope that you will join us next week for our service. It will continue to be an exciting time and an encouraging time for you. But until then, I pray that you're blessed and safe and that you'll come back right here to NDCC Pensacola, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Be blessed. Have a great week. I'm going through changes, through changes. Grace, grace, on my place. Yeah, I made mistakes, but I didn't stay.